Hello, everyone. We are Victoria and Isabel from Seed to Harvest Ventures, a pre-seed and seed stage fund that invests in women-identified founders of color building software-enabled companies. We are product design operators turned emerging managers, and we are sharing our experience with our first fund. Welcome. Hi, Victoria. Hello. So getting started with our fun weekly reflection, what's one thing that you learned this week and one thing that you are proud of? One thing that I learned this week is that nothing is, it's rare that something is as urgent as you build it up to be. I've had to put a lot on the back burner because of South by Southwest. I had a move the day after I got back from South by Southwest over last weekend. And I feel like I've had to keep pushing things off and just do like the couple things to keep things from fully like falling through. And so, for example, just emails and keeping conversation going and stuff like that. And it's okay. And not like I looked at everything yesterday and was like, I really just have to do like five things. And yeah. it's not this pile of a hundred things that I think is there. Um, but it was just like, I needed the reminder kind of after a few weeks of just being kind of in the weeds. Yes. Yes. Um, And one thing I'm proud of, oh, our founders, just getting to meet people in person last week and seeing other GPs that we had met over the last year and like kind of the friends we're making in the industry, just like really awesome and we met founders we've invested in. We've met founders we've done office hours with. And it's just was like, it was just so great to see everyone and like get jazzed again. And that was such like a recharge. And I'm just so proud of the people that we have in our orbit, I think is really awesome. And yeah, I really, really, really liked that. Yeah. What about that. you? I've definitely learned a lot about like incentivizing first closes. Like, I just, like, everyone, you know, everyone basically says, like, you can incentivize the first close. And you're like, okay. And then they wander off into the abyss. And you're like, that didn't mean shit to me. Um, Now, last week, I finally got some specifics that, of course, we'll share later in the episode. But that was just, like, really helpful to me because I just, it was very fucking annoying that people would say that and not really give any explicit details about what that meant. Um, And then one thing I'm proud of for this week um, we closed LP, which is super dope. Yeah. Because um, that's been really nice. Um, and yeah, you know, fundraising is super fun. So whatever you get to win, you got to, you got to like the win. I mean, I feel like 2023 is our year, <laughs> even though all signs point <laughs> to market club. Wait, even. Even though, was it Aries is in Pluto or Anastasia? Saturn is in Pisces <laughs> for the next couple years. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> I don't even know how I like retained that information. I don't know what black hole I was in. <laughs> like, this is very important to us. Yeah. Um, well, that so was definitely some internet reading when I was putting my child to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the good thing about it is it kind of leads us into our topic for today, which is lessons learned because I'm learning about astrology. Not really, but sometimes when people tell me about it. Um, But I think like it's a good time for reflection to really just think about some of the lessons we learned and share that really on specific things. And so the areas we're going to talk about today are like 
um, fund model, um, founder process, pitching our pitch deck, and then uh, close deadlines and how to incentivize LPs. Um, so I can kind of get started on the fund model part. Um, so <clears throat> I remember last year, oh my God, I distinctly remember last year being in Oaxaca doing crazy paper math um, <laughs> on sheets of paper in this like really nice eco hostel I was in, just being like, what the fuck? Because I was like, fund model just seems like fucking made up math. And I don't know why we're doing this. And I don't know what this means. <clears throat> and over time, I've realized that like, it is still somewhat made up math, but like, it's a really good thought exercise with and combined with portfolio construction, how intertwined they are. And so I think when we first started talking about it, <clears throat> we kind of were just like doing what we heard other people talk about. So like with the front returns, like, Oh, I think we even put it on a deck, which thankfully we quickly took that off. But we picked on like we picked a random number, and then we just had some check sizes that sounded like right. Um, and then like I'm like kind of, yeah. so embarrassed about yeah. what might have been on there. I don't even I'm, remember. Oh yeah, I think we like were, I like cringe. Yeah, me too. I'm like, whoop, thank God we took <laughs> that off. Uh, but like we definitely just like thought we were supposed to put information in because we like found some templates online and we're like, okay, whatever, bye. <clears throat> and so, I think we also talked to a couple like white dudes who were like I don't know I just took my friend's fun model and like no one ever really asked me any questions and we're like okay not our experience <laughs> no not experience but it's been nice like over time to really like think through like okay like we shifted from this check size model to really anchoring on like we want to focus on ownership percentages so like we really nailed down like we want to focus on like 5% at pre-seed and then with seed, what was interesting is for a while we were like standardizing and we actually initially, I think, flipped it. Like we were trying to go higher at pre-seed and lower at seed because like yeah. we're raising $25 million funds. So we're like, we knew we could get a higher percentage ownership in pre-seed versus seed. But then I was talking to a friend of mine who is an amazing woman, uh, she works in Goldman Sachs and I was telling her like, we got a tool tactic that like kind of is like a good playground to kind of do portfolio construction and everything. And I was just like, Hey, like I've been thinking as I've been like running models, like it actually makes more sense to like, like we get better returns if we do higher percentages at seed. And I think it actually works sense works more sense for who we are. Right. Because of our product design backgrounds, getting at the earlier stages, making those early bets, but at a smaller bet, and then being able to really see how founders work and adapt on their journey from pre-seed to seed to know where to double down. And she was like, oh yeah, that's like a common thing to do. And I was like, oh, literally no one has said that to me. Um, and like, as some of you listening may know, it is really hard to get feedback on fun models. Like most LPs won't really do it unless they just say like, I don't agree. <laughs> um, but it's not like, there's not a lot of places where you can go to really get the, what are the kind of assumptions and the things you should be thinking about in order to make those decisions. And I think like, even we've had like an interim CFO um, working with us and he was good at pushing and asking some assumptions around like, okay, like what, who do you want to be as a firm, right? Like, how do you want to relate to founders? Like really, you know, a lot of, there's a common phrase, uh, what is it? Like your fund size is your strategy, which in some cases is true, right? It definitely puts like barriers on, like if you're raising $25 million, if we were going around saying we're going to get 10% of everything, with like 40% follow on people are like you're crazy. You can invest in like three companies. Right. Um, but like when we talked about like 
We want to be that tactical expert. We, we don't want to be afraid to write the first check. Like we don't necessarily need to lead, but we do need to, we want to have conviction. And if we have conviction, whether you have 10 checks in or no checks in, like we want to be able to participate and like board seats, like aren't as important to us for this first fund, but maybe in late, later subsequent funds. And so once we kind of started thinking through those things, it made the decisions around ownership versus check size, follow on strategy. Um, so much easier to talk about, which is really nice. Uh, you have to edit this out, but I'm gonna rejoin the Zoom. Yeah, same. Okay. I'm doing that right now. Her. I realize there's no point in recording if the volume's not on. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Okay, you're in. I'm gonna ask you a follow-up question on that. Her. So digging into that, what would you say, like, starting out, it's really tough to know. I think it's tough to answer those questions. Who do you want to be as a fund, et cetera? So I'd love to hear just, like, if you were to go back, what would be the two or three points you would anchor on, maybe given what you know now, or, like, the key parts of the fund model that you want to call out? And then I think we can also talk about just, like, how we've talked about our fund model as we've been with LPs, as we've been working on it too. Yeah. I will say like the key things to anchor on, like, I mean, the first thing to anchor on is your fund size, right? Like, and that's hard because like you hear so much shit about so-and-so raising $400 million or so-and-so raising 20 million or 5 million or whatever. Yeah. We've Um, gotten, we've been both too big and too small in conversations. You're going to get, you'll get it all. (laughs) But, like, really think about, like, and this is such a weird thing to say, but, like, what you can realistically fundraise, which is hard, right? Because, like, I think even for us, like, we were, like, we don't have, like, a bunch of wealthy friends that were, like, oh, yeah, they'll just give us a million dollars. That's super chill. Like, I literally got the advice. We were in a accelerator briefly. And the advice for fund size was to figure out what you can soft circle from friends and family times that by 10, and that should be your fund size. That was not helpful. Um, that might be helpful to other people, yeah. but that was not helpful to me. And so for us, it was really thinking about like, okay, given like that we're a first time fund, like we definitely want to be below a hundred million. Like it just seems crazy for our first time funds, fund managers who like <clears throat> have a lot of like operational track record, but not necessarily like a huge um, like investment track record to like start at such a high level. But also mm-hmm. there's two of us that we want to work on this fund. You can't be a $5 million fund because with the 2% that you get to manage yourselves, that would be very little money and we could not live off doing that. And so 25 million came into our, like where we wanted to like really target because it was basically like the minimum we could do in order to build kind of like a track record. If you think about your first fund really being a proof of concept and really testing on our hypothesis us to both be able to like barely work on this full time and for us to be able to most likely realistically be able to fundraise given our network, given like what we're trying to do. So those were like the three things around our fund size, which is like kind of the first big thing when thinking about your fund model and portfolio construction. And I think the other three things to think about are like how many portfolio companies do you want? Mm -hmm. The two things thinking about that are like one what's your thought about like investing? Like, are you just trying to get as many like 
I don't love this phrase, but shots on goal as possible and just invest whatever and see what happens. Are you really focused on like working a lot with founders? Like what, um, how involved do you want to be as a fund? Because like realistically, right, if you want to be super involved, that lowers the amount of funds, uh, portfolio companies you can have versus right. if you're not trying to be that investment, you just kind of want to be a check and get people started. You can definitely invest more, right? And so like, that's a big thing to think about when you think about portfolio construction that also has like, if you go deep, like once you go deeper, you realize it has um, impact on like, how do you return the fund, right? So if you're making smaller checks, then you usually have to have more portfolio companies because the likelihood of any one of those succeeding, especially it needs to succeed even more than you would if you wrote a bigger check, <clears throat> because like the ownership you have is so small that the multiple needs to be really high for you to be able to return the fund. So like, those are the types you think about things you want to think about when you think about like constructing, like how many portfolio companies you want to invest in. There's also like just looking at the numbers as well, the best practice of like the minimum of trying to hit a power law, which is that rule of like one's going to make it big or the probability of hitting like a large return, like that number really starts to manifest at 30. And so if you are looking at making, like you're saying, it's very much on how you want to work. Like there's some funds that want to be the first check in. They only do 15 a year. Their diligence process comes into play. How they work with founders comes into play. But they have a very thought out reason, again, tied to their fund model and how that will impact returns, their ability to follow on, et cetera. I think what's really tough about this topic is it's like, untangling a ball of yarn you know and so there's so many variables that come into play i think anchoring on the couple that make the most sense to you as a fund mm -hmm. and your team like it's a good place to start yeah and also just the ones lps will ask for like the yeah. thing lps will always ask for it's like for portfolio construction how many investments do you intend to make as a fund what's like your average check size um i think i'm forgetting one average check size and like how do you oh and your follow-on strategy those are like the top three things lps will always ask for and so and you'll and the tough thing is you'll hear tons of things you'll hear people who don't do follow-ons at all other people who do 50 percent of their fund as follow-on right and like there's there's gonna be a lot of things for you to consider which is largely dictated by your fund size and who you want to be as a fund but like those are the top three things you want to like really try to figure out how to anchor on is like how many companies do i realistically want to invest in as a fund for this specific fund, how do I want to think about follow-ons? So like after the initial investment, how often in what cases do I want to make additional investments as the company grows? And then really thinking about like, what's your initial check size? Like, and for us, the big question, I think for a lot of people is always like, do you want to focus on our check size or do you want to focus on our ownership? Yeah. Um, those are the things you really want to think about. And every, the, good and bad about this is that there's no right answer but the right thing to do is have it as well thought out as possible yeah so like if you kind of can nail down those three unless i can nail down but like think through those three and have an answer then just start talking to people about it particularly lps and they'll ask you questions which will then help you rethink and re and like finesse what you're thinking but like if you at least have those three in mind it's a good starter conversation to go rework with other gps with potential lps in a really like informal way of just getting that feedback yep definitely and then one thing that i really like that we do that we've tried to put into practice when we're pitching is like how we and this 
we can tie this into the pitching part, but like how we talk about things that we're currently working on and evolving in that moment. So mm -hmm. the method that you had, which is is like, here's where we here's where we are, here's where we've been, mm -hmm. and just talk about kind of like the progress that we've made as we work on it. Yeah, it's funny because like I think I've been hearing more from like LPs that. They want to understand like your lessons learning, your progress, but they don't want it to be like too crazy because like, you know, as like, especially early stage investors, we expect kind of changes to happen at a like month to month pace. But I think LPs, because it's such a long term view, they like, they are here to change, but they want like every three months. I don't, that's not exact time frame, right? But they want like a slower pace of change. So it is tricky to really figure out like how much to tell them. So I tend to lean on more of like talking about it rather than like writing out a lot of it just because I feel like once it's written, then it becomes a thing in their head versus like if you're talking about it, you can kind of gauge oh, the yeah, response. Oh yeah, don't put this in your pitch deck. Just this is a talking point type of <laughs> type of moment. I mean, but I've, I've, I've heard feedback to put it in your pitch deck, right? But you just have to be careful about how you do it. Like, um, because I think like once you do that, then that, that kind of exists forever too. So Yeah, that scares me. <laughs> okay. okay. Switching from LP side, why don't you talk about founder side and like kind of how we evolve there? Yes, this process is, I don't think this is, as, we have made progress. It's just very different than the fund model. Like with the numbers and seeing a spreadsheet, I feel yeah. like we've made a lot of progress uh, with our process considering we had none last year and it was kind of just this cast a wide net free for all. <laughs> um, so where we started with our process Really, we started with our office hours, and then that kind of dovetailed into our process. I think we felt comfortable taking the leap into starting to talk to founders once we were formed as a fund. Mm -hmm. um, something that we learned not super early on, but early on enough was that a lot of funds talk to founders and like LP questions too, were like, who are the founders? Who are the companies you're looking at? If you're not making investments, who's in your pipeline? So that was like a big lesson early on, which is like all of everything starts kind of at the same time. Um, sometimes people who are creating a fund that come from venture are bringing folks over with them. They've worked with other companies. They're getting referrals. That's one really good way to build pipeline. Um, we use the office hours kind of inadvertently as a way to start connecting with founders and just learning where we wanted to go. I'd say our approach might be a little different than others because we are so kind of experiment and, and iterative based. Or we iterate a lot, um, especially early on. So. I think once we realized we wanted to talk to companies, even though we weren't sure we could invest, that's when our process really started it, which at first it was really just like, let's do that intro meeting. Um, our intro, we cover just the basics, which is what's the problem you're solving, the solution you want to have, get to know the founder. And then we would do a deep dive if we were interested to kind of dive in either to the product, the tech, the business model, and then make a loose decision. It's so funny talking about it now because it feels so loose, but you and I worked so closely together that I yeah. feel like our, our heads were in the, like, the same place, but it wasn't yeah. as much of a documented process. And that was something too that early on, like you get a lot of different, um, not even early on, still today, everyone does this differently. And I don't feel like they've come to a place like where there's exactly a best practice. Like 
some companies don't look at the product or get access to the product until they're in diligence. That mm -hmm. was too late for us. So a lot of it too, it was like taking the time to kind of just do it and run through it and have it be a little messy and then go back and say like, what information do I wish I would have had to make this decision faster or more thoroughly or to have more confidence um, with the founders that we were talking to. So we ended up doing one deal last year and we had a and two companies in diligence going mm. into this year mm. and iterated on our process a lot. So, and a lot of that is just like once founders get it. In terms of pipeline, I would say that's still something that's really not, I wouldn't say like a ground, like start from scratch work in progress, but it's always something that you, I could tap more into right mm -hmm. now because my time is limited. I'm focusing on doing like what I call like high value touch points, which is like a teardown for other founders, or we're talking to a group of multiple founders, or I can mm -hmm. go to an event and connect with a lot of founders so that it's less like one-on-one. You know, heavy, yeah, one-on-one -on -one based. That's also something that came out was our, sorry, this just reminded me of our 15 minute one on one. So, where we've ended up with our process now is kind of being, I wouldn't say more discerning, but like there's always, we're very interested in <laughs> all the companies that come through. So, I realized last year there's a lot of people that I was like interested in the problem that they were tackling, but not maybe the company or the founder itself. Or that like we couldn't even remember because we were talking like some hardware companies that were like, this is so cool, but like we can't help you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we are not the right fit for you. So drawing some guardrails there, like here's what we're good at software. And then saying like, okay, for the ones, for the folks and the companies or the problems or the founders that we think are really interesting that we want to talk to, but like would just slow us down in terms of like, we might not be ready to invest right now. Mm -hmm. We do a 15 minute intro call. Let's just keep in touch. We added a, a column in our database that allows us to then keep tabs on those folks and just get updates from them. So that's been a way to like really help. I'd say. You're going to call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've also actually like spread our, not spread it out, but added more touch points to mm -hmm. our like founders. So we do that initial 30 minute intro and we have like a very like rubric scorecard for that now, which is like, what are these key points that we need to make a decision to even continue? Um, and then we have a product demo following that. And so mm -hmm. the product demo has been the best, that's been the best introduction into our process for me because it's mm -hmm. it's given me a chance so what we do is for b2b customer or for b2b companies we want to do a product demo as if they were selling to us so i want to see how they're talking about their company their product the value that they're going to bring and the value prop to that customer as they demo the product mm -hmm. for our consumer companies we want access to the product and then we want to talk through just a problem that they might have so we can get a feel for how they're thinking about their users the problems that they're solving and we'll get a brief demo through that that has been just like singularly the best way for me to wrap my head around what people are trying to accomplish but also just see how far they are like some products are like way further than i would companies i've even worked for at like later stages <laughs> like wow this looks really good and it works that's crazy um 
And it's, I mean, and then there's no right or wrong thing. Your product doesn't have to be at a certain stage. It's just so helpful to see it. And then from there, we do our deep dive and then go into a more formal diligence. And so for us, what I like about this process is we can kind of speed it up or slow it down as much as we'd like. Um, but it gives us higher conviction earlier on, which is what we needed as a team that we're just, there's two of us. We're spread. I mean, even if there was one of us, we would need something like this in there. Mm. Things I would like to do going forward, add in a lot more automation, add in automating emails, add in automation on like having Notion pages created when we got, you know, like connecting our note taking with just across the board. But where we're at right now, I mean, again, like I giggle at like our lack of process, I should say last year, um, but I'm happy with how we've iterated. It's, it's made things go a lot smoother this year in terms of the new companies we've met with. I would definitely agree with that. Like, I think, especially when we had other product demo, I think, and, and that's the thing I think too about it, right? Like there's two things that I think are very unique to us. It's like one, we really want to focus on like, kind of qualitative but consistent scoring and so we've gotten you know so even pushed back from people we're helping with us they're like well why don't you just do like numeric scoring and we're like we've set and so many teams who do numeric scoring and it's nonsense like the amount of prioritization exercises i've done where we score everything and then it's like okay, whatever is the highest score is what you do it's never the highest score it's what is actually the focus and people always just put kind of like what they feel like they should put and not like it's really hard for humans to do accurate scoring. Um, and so like, and we just knew for us, it would, didn't feel like the right way to approach it. And so we've been really focused on like, well, if we're not going to do numeric scoring, like and we're doing qualitative, at least like we have like a rubric that shows like, this is the type of answer we're looking for. So we can still get the information and, and make those decisions. Yeah. And I think similarly with that product demo, right? Like it's just so important to us and it helped, like, I think we get more out of it than most people would because we understand that the way they're talking about their product, the way they make decisions has such huge downstream implications yeah. that it helps us see like red flags, green flags very early. Definitely. Absolutely. And just the piece that like, yeah, everyone does this differently. Like I think even going through the thought exercise of writing out how we would about why, why and how we're evaluating things. It's a great thing to show LPs, but it's also helpful to plug in like interns and anyone into the process so they can really understand because it is so product based like we do have a unique perspective on that like it's a good way to help um communicate like how we're even trying to think about it agree okay let's move into pitching and pitch deck can we combine those yeah let's combine those um so you know what seems obvious now but I don't think it was always obvious before is that it's a lot easier to revamp your like your pitch that you're you're talking when you're talking to someone than it is to revamp your pitch deck. And I think in the beginning you spent a lot of time on our pitch deck, which is good because it's like a really good thought exercise to take what's in your head and put it out on paper. So I don't think that was a bad way of doing it, but I do think like it's not until you get in the meeting and you start talking about yourself that you're like, oh shit, like I got to work on this like part, but like doing the pitch deck is a great exercise and really understanding like, what are we trying to do here and what do we want to communicate? Um, and so what I think is interesting about our pitch is like in the beginning, we like, and I think, and it's, it's been fun in recast to see this, like a lot of people struggle to talk about themselves and we definitely did. Like, you're like, here's what we're doing. And this is what we're doing. People are like, who the fuck are you? And you're like, oh yeah, whoops. Like 
forgot to say, both in our deck and like in like, you know, live pitches. Um, and I will say like the evolution of our pitching has been interesting because I think when we first started, we, we both felt like we had to like pitch, like we were like on a stage and like do a little song and dance and like, it made me really uncomfortable. I think as well, you felt similarly where it just feels like we're on in a weird show that you don't want to be on. Yeah. Um, and we finally were just like, let's just make it more conversational. Like that's who we are. Like if people really want to know who we are, like we don't sit in fucking monologue for hours. Like, like we, we like getting to know us is a conversation. Yes. And so once we turn it more into a conversation, I think we got better connections and like, just people actually got to know us a bit more um and like what's something that people don't talk about it's actually really hard to do a pitch with two people and at first we were trying to like both have 50 like talk 50 percent and it ended up just being like us talking for like fucking 10 minutes um in a 30 minute call and some advice someone gave us which actually i really love is that they're just like it's not going to be even just one person will take 80 percent of the conversation other person take 20 percent at least to start and then you can figure out areas where you each chime in and that was like, it's so small, but it was such a like pressure reliever. Cause it was like, we could just say the two minute, three minute spiel. And then whoever wasn't talking could just talk more as we had a conversation. Yeah. The other, so two things that have stuck out to me that I've learned. Mm-hmm. One is, and these kind of relate. One is like, most LPs are not going to drive the conversation. Mm, And this is like the strangest thing coming from a different industry is that like GPs sit in the middle. There's LPs on one side and founders on the other, and you are having to run things for both. And so that was really interesting to me because like, and and I get it, the dynamic wise, like we're trying to meet an LP. We want to talk to them. I just, I think I had an assumption that they had like a process on how they did it and they would kind of run it. Yeah. Not the case in my experience yeah. at all. And so it's really, and this is very difficult to do early on, is to have the confidence to run the conversation. So kind of summarizing what you were saying, Victoria, which is like, if you have this like song and dance, it's not going to fit in. But if you have just like a couple gate checks of like, we're going to start with intros and then I'll tell you about this and then I'll tell you about that. And you can just say, and then I have a few questions for you. Like if you just know you have those four things that you can start the call off with, I think it helps anchor everyone because we've definitely been in situations where we're just like, who is the driver here? I thought you were the driver and they're looking at us like, we're not the driver. You're the driver. Fuck. So that makes it super awkward. And so that was something that like, no, i don't haven't heard a lot of people talk about but it's definitely been the case in a lot of our LP meetings and so going off of that one thing that was a total game changer for us is like grab command of that conversation as soon as the meeting starts so that you can make them intro themselves first because when you do that you'll get a little more and I like Victoria we we kind of had that spiel because we do our research but it's like there's always something that someone's not going to tell you or that's not on a website also family offices don't have websites so you have to be like I don't even know yeah half of them are just like a phone number with a picture of a fucking rock and water dripping off of it like I don't even know and so it's if you can get them to intro first I think it's really, it's been helpful to us to understand like what's important to them, really what they focus on, if there is some high level alignment or not early on. And then we do like our short bio, short fun spiel, and then kind of dig in from there or just ask questions to them. But like, 
the conversation piece and driving it is so critical. And it's just like, that was like the thing that took me, I feel like a long time to feel confident in. Yeah. And I'll say I even updated that more like recently, like I've actually started asking LPs a bunch of questions up first, like uh, first, because it helps you understand how, what they need to know. Like so yeah. instance, I talked to LP today and I literally was just like, like she did her kind of standard 30 second, 50 second spiel. And I was just like, <clears throat> okay, so you say you have in education. What does that mean for you? Here's what it means for us. Like, what does it mean for you? And then I asked the question, I was just like, they're, they're kind of more impact focused and more globally focused. And I was like, well, like why choose venture to invest in? What kind of impact are you looking to make? And she was like, holy shit, I think about that all the time, but no one's ever asked me that, right? So like, even just in your questions, they can get to know who you are and it gives you so much more information around um, like what they're looking for and if you're a good fit and like what to highlight versus not to talk about so much. Um, not to hide anything, but just like, you wanna highlight the things that connect you especially when you only have a limited amount of time. And so like uh, what's been recommended to me that I'm still like working on is like having a set of questions um, to just start off the conversation with, like it doesn't, it shouldn't be extensive, right? Cause like you don't want to waste the whole time asking them questions, but at least have three to five questions that you want to ask. And like, sometimes they answer them for you to be honest, um, be, you know, cause some are like on their fucking shit. Um, but like, if you have those questions ready to go and they're well thought out, and again, particular to you, right? Because I'm a product person. So I'm always just like, I want to understand people's whys. Like if I know why you're doing something, I know how to talk to you. So I'm always going to ask that question, but like, maybe you're not like that. And maybe you want to know something else and that's fine, but have the questions that you need in order to figure out like, cause think, think about it like a job. Well, think about like, how you need to pitch. Like what info do you need to like sell yeah. or to to not convince, but to interest, you know, like what, where to hook in. Yeah. I think about a lot is like when you're kind of going through your career and like when you first start interviewing, you're kind of just like sitting there getting asked all these questions. But then as you get more comfortable in your career, you realize that you can ask questions back because you're interviewing this person too. Like it is a relationship and in a relationship, both people have to be invested, but just like with anything new and in this weird relationship with money, right. It's like when one person's like, you know, the person asking, it feels like off kilter, but asking those questions help makes it feel like more of a peer relationship, but while also building a rapport and helping them understand a little bit more about who you are. Well, and that's what I think it is too, is like, it's not an interview. It's an introduction. And mm -hmm. so it's like, to your point, yes, you could both ask questions and like, it should be a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, I think there's just so many ways that it's not it's not like you're all within one company and you're like i'm yeah. gonna talk to this person in a different department and there are some general guidelines and rules that we all follow it's not the yeah. case it's like yeah. you really just have to get in and be like hi who are you who do you care about and like that first call is really understanding how do i talk to this person in a way that makes sense to them and are they like interested in what i'm doing and like how do i understand the rules of the game with this person yeah. And I will say before we kind of switch more to the pitch deck part, I think it's really things I've learned really recently is like, in terms of questions, you always want to know what kind of uh, what success looks like from them, even outside of fund returns. Some people will just say just market returns, which is like, fine, but like usually not the case because it's like if that's the case, they just like pick a thing out of a hat and only look at your numbers and they wouldn't care about who you are. So like, it's mostly not true, but like you want to understand what 
what is their goal? How do they measure success out of just like fund returns? And sometimes not even fund returns if you do more impact investing our foundation sometimes. And the other thing is like really understanding, and this has been, we started off doing this, we got a little nervous and now we're back to doing it, but it's like by the end of a conversation being like, are you interested? Like what's the next steps? Like always yeah. leave the conversation with next steps because you will just be up in this weird space where you're just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, do I reach out? Do I not reach out? And also ask how they like to like keep in contact. Like we have a monthly newsletter yeah. that we do, which is super easy and great. Cause like people just, we can just tag them in and we don't have to do anything special, but like say they want to have another call or whatever it is, or they want to meet you in person, always get those next steps and like That's how they want to communicate. That's the other thing is like, yes, we were, in addition to the next steps, we were constantly getting there like, well, we like to get to know people over X amount of time, or like, we like to wait to get to know our GPs. So we've just started asking, like, how do you like to best get to know your GPs? And the answer is different for everyone. So it's really been this, like, this riddle, <laughs> what questions to ask to pull out the information that we need to keep engaging to, to move forward and stuff like that. Um, let's switch over to pitch yeah. um, or the pitch deck, which has been quite an evolution. It's getting easier. We do less updates now. We did a ton of updates at the beginning. It is the actual bane of my existence. Well, because we don't, so here's the other thing is like, we don't really pitch with our pitch deck. Our pitch deck is something that we share out. So one thing that we've learned and that has evolved is like, I do, we have multiple formats. So not multiple decks, but we have our pitch deck. We created a memo that we can share out. So what we can do now is share out a one pager about us and the fund with high level information, then have an intro meeting and follow up with a pitch deck that might cover some details that we didn't get to, but it just really reiterates a lot of the stuff that we would have in that initial conversation. We can share that earlier as well, but it's like we were, we, it was, we were running into the problem of having multiple versions of pitch decks. So it keeps us from having to version as much. If we can just add them to our data room, for example, then there will always be an updated version there. Yeah. And so like, we're about to go into another fun round of pitch deck um, changes. But again, like this one, it's not like we're not changing any of our fundamentals. That's why we created the memo. Like our portfolio construction is the same. Our fund model is the same. Like what we're choosing to invest in the same. Like what we're actually changing is how we talk about ourselves. Yeah. So now that like our pitch has switched from like, this is what we're doing. It goes to like, who, this is who we are and actually leaning more on our product and design expertise. So we start with like, our expertise is in product. We are trained in new opportunities. We really focus on like where we saw opportunities and that's a moment of color founders and like in these three areas of like software development, instead of like leading with the women of color, people tend to think we're like an impact fund or like we're just like doing charity or like, no, we see a huge financial opportunity investing in women of color. And that, that also makes this industry that has been honestly quite shitty at times much better when win. Like that is yeah. what we're focused on. And by changing that narrative, it both helped people not focus just so much on women of color, even though that is a big focus for us, but like not the focus wasn't all their assumptions they have about women of color coming out. Instead, it's like, oh, this product like background. Okay, we, we understand how you got to where you are a lot better than yeah. just starting with our fun. Right. And that's been like, and that's something I think we've talked about on other episodes, but it's like, you'll find you get to this point where there's enough stuff that's evolved that you, you can look at your pitch check and be like, 
I, I want to add in these three slides and take this out. If you're ever sitting there being like, what should I change? Don't touch it. Don't fuck with it. Like, cause we've, we've even done that once. I think recently, which like, I think we need to update. I'm like, until it's like so clear and obvious <laughs> because realistically like the turnaround time takes a while. Like we're adding in the content and like making that punchy and then like the formatting and like that piece, it like does take some critical thinking skills. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. I don't know why like deck writing it's really become my entire career, but it is like so difficult to do every time just takes a lot of time and iteration. And so that's something too going in is like bake that in realistically. Like we've had it not under the gun, but like we really have started to use our deck updates as a way to re-engage or keep LPs kind of in the loop with like an added touch point of saying, Hey, like here, like, we have our monthly newsletter, but in addition to that, we have some updates and typically it's like quarterly. And so we definitely use that as like a, a good deadline for us of like, let's get these changes in so we can reactivate or just keep engaging with um, a pool of like LPs, high value LPs. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last thing I want to go into before we wrap up for the week is um kind of close deadlines and incentivizing LP. So the big thing that we're trying to get to as most GPs are trying to get to who are phrasing their first fund or even their second fund or third or whatever, but always the, the first close. It's like, all right, it means your fund is officially in market. You can make hopefully your real check sizes if you do it right. Um, show traction with LPs, get the ball rolling. Um, and so a lot of people talked about like, oh, you can incentivize first, like first was LPs. And I was like, okay, how? Um, and then they kind of walk away. Um, and I was like, okay, that's sounds cool. And so the, the things that I've figured out, and I want to thank, you know, my class at Pass, the cohort um, has been super helpful with that. But I've seen it a couple of different ways people have chosen to approach it. So one that's like pretty common, but actually it's common of putting an LPA, but most people don't enforce is like interest rates. And so, and it's especially pertinent now, given the increasing interest rates, it's like basically for first close LPs, like you can like, if you come in at first close versus second close, like that interest that's occurred since like the first people made their investment can like, um, like there's interest generated and you can actually use that to like give dividends to LPs or to like reinvest in the fund, um, which isn't commonly done to be honest, but does exist in most LPAs and, and in ours as well. Um, the other thing that I've heard is around incentivizing is like giving preferential terms and so saying like either like the first LPs first close LP is up to like five million or to a certain target or just first close LPs, LPs in general might get a preferential treatment on carry so maybe a different split <clears throat> or maybe they have first access to companies um, I've also heard of what's interesting I heard this today is like doing um, changes to like your minimums. And so offering a lower minimum first close LPs, um, which is an interesting thing, especially if you're targeting like high net worths, which are most likely like those first close LPs outside of like institutionals, which tend to be harder and also usually tend to avoid being in the part of a first close. And so those are the different levers I've seen. Something interesting that we're also talking about now, because the big thing is like, you want to still be building your track record, but that's hard to do when you don't have the funds to actually invest. Um, and so unless you're, you know, fortunately very well, they already have a pretty good existing track record as a team, to be clear. Um, 
we were talking about like raising a warehousing vehicle and it's like you'd raise a warehousing vehicle to be able to continue to invest prior to your first close that then converts into LP commit. Um, so it'll go into direct deals and almost be like SPV where you make a deal investment. Um, and then once you get to your first close and you'll set a like minimum for what that first close has to be, that'll switch into being an LP commit. And like, obviously those um, deals like correlate to those, like it'll be warehoused into the fund, but like those LPs might get preferential treatment on the carry for those specific deals um, as well. And if you never do your first close, so to avoid the risk that most people have of being a part of first close, which is like you don't get to a first close or you don't resolve the fund at all, like those LPs, potential LPs, right, still own those deals. So like they don't lose out on anything, even if you don't do a first close, but it's kind of a way to keep building that track record as you keep moving along. Um, and so some of those are some of the ways I've heard about incentivizing LPs, but you know, hey, if you guys have any more, feel free to email us, drop us a line. We'd love to yeah. share. Um, the only other thing I was gonna mention on the close deadlines is like, your closed deadline can move a lot. It's just like talking point conversationally. Well, what I should say is like, I was worried like, oh, well, we said our first close would be hopefully November. Cause we practiced, we did a practice round kind of like practicing, putting some pressure on our pipeline and just seeing what would shake out a little bit. And like, no one's ever come back and been like, you wrote in your newsletter that you are trying to do a first close by the end of 2022. You know what I mean? And so that's just something to throw out there because I've talked to other GPs about that. And we it's again, it's all a conversation. It's how you talk about it. It's how you talk about where you've been and what you're doing. Um, and so just throwing that out there, it's not like, I don't know why I take things so literally, I guess, in the industry. Where I guess it's... That's not true. You should take things literally, but they just don't make sense. So, <laughs> I mean, everything can be like sort of shifted. And I think especially in this climate where, you know, so much is happening and so, so much uncertainty, it's just not as surprising to people if you say you're going to do something that doesn't happen as long as you have the best intention right as long as you're not just like fucking around saying stuff for no reason but like oh yeah absolutely each time, like then when we said november initially it was really to get an understanding from our pipeline about how serious they were um and then we actually thought we were in a better position to actually really do a first close at the beginning of this year realized it wasn't the case because a lot of our lps at the time were not first close lps so that ended up that was just like a learning curve for us and now we have like a new one that's actually come about but instead of like kind of selecting a date and then driving towards it we've been better about like okay given where we are what's our date considering like our current pipeline and like what we think yeah. is gonna happen and the reality is just like no one really knows until like you know i mean i've talked to gps who were like a week before somebody pulled out or totally. like gps who were like i set this date and if this person doesn't come in it's gonna all fall apart um you don't necessarily need to do that. I don't recommend that, but just it was helpful to know that like it wasn't uncommon for people to put deadlines or first close deadlines in place and those not actually be when they do their first close. Totally, totally. Um, okay, let's talk about our weekly wins. I hope the conversation, I hope you guys can learn from us on our learnings <laughs> so far. Learn, learn, learn. Um, yeah, weekly win. Victoria, you want to take this one? 
yeah, I mean, I said I was proud of, so I kind of jinxed it myself. But very excited about closing LP this week. Yeah. Woo, woo. Super pumped. Um, it is hard, um, but I'm glad it's happening. Um, also, just like, I don't know, like, proud of just like the learning of like, taking rest and like not trying to be go 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 out all the time like this is such a marathon and like a lot of people sprint the whole time and like that's just not sustainable so really learning to appreciate rest and know that like things are still happening even if you're not like eight to five p.m every day is meetings you know so totally proud weekly Uh, win yeah that is a weekly win All right. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. Fund managers, we'd love to meet you. Follow us on LinkedIn. We're Seed to Harvest Ventures. And we're also at STH Ventures on Instagram. Say hi. Please share feedback and let us know if there's any topics you'd like us to cover or if you'd like to be a guest. You can email us at hello at seedtoharvestbs.com.